Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Hello and welcome to One You Adopt Yet, the only podcast that uses science and tech to answer the questions that you actually have. Things like, why is the sky blue? What's up with trees? And why is the weather so terrible? It's sunny, then it's hailing, then it's snowing, and then it's back again. It's terrible. I don't like it. My skin is bad. I'm your host, Alex Lathridge. I'm a PhD student in blah, 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 biology, something, something. I'm very clever. A comedian and I have no energy to think about how clever I am. I'm kidding. I hate myself. Today I'm with Sahel Patel. Sahel is an amazing journalist. He makes brilliant stuff for the BBC and he forgot to get toothpaste. So I brought him some toothpaste. It was a little baby toothpaste and so now he's brushing his teeth. And we are joined by two wonderful guests today. I have first a biologist he knows your body like the back of your hand he's a hypochondriac tinder aficionado they don't call him the rumba of revolution hall for no reason he really cleaned up and he's the only guy who i don't know he'll meet you then he'll take your mum out for a nice brunch maybe you'll have a mimosa maybe you have some kale super into kale that's the life he lives and then come home had a bit too much to drink it's fine your mum goes up to bed he sees your dad takes a handshake and the handshake like is quite firm but quite nice it lingers for a little bit but you know there's a like a a, a moment like a whisper that looks between their eyes and that and so you know chats to your dad sees where it goes maybe takes your dad up to bed they explore certain things yeah and he shows him when two become one like souls melding and that and your dad you know he learns that sexuality is a spectrum and you know he's quite happy with his new understanding and then he goes back downstairs he goes to your fridge he opens it he gets some milk he makes himself a sandwich and then he sees you he looks in your eyes he sits down at your table and then he teaches you quadratic equations yes oz is back hey oz hold on (laughs) who the fuck were you talking about and also when did i become a guest on this podcast Uh, when you weren't here for seven (laughs) that is my biggest question screw all the rest because some of that might be true but when did i become a guest on this podcast yeah you were out for seven months i'm sorry we had to we had to like bring someone in i see yeah i see how it is yeah we for the first clarify all the rest that you said later all right all right cool most pressing point (laughs) 
Yeah, so my week was actually a lot different and a lot more responsible. I wrote a lot of my thesis. I Shut up. No, no, I did. I was looking at it and I, I'm actually almost crying because I, I got some, uh, like, my supervisor sent me back some comments, some uh, things to change, and I was like, I can do this. And I looked at the comments and I was like, I honestly this is filling me with dread. So I started doing another chapter and I almost finished the other chapter. And I was like, every day I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish this day and send it off. I'm gonna finish this day and send it off. I haven't sent it off yet because- I mean, you just need the comments. You just need to take them as light suggestions. Okay. I don't think you need to stick with, that's how I uh, deal with my science. Okay. Um, and that's everything from PhD corner today. We're not gonna talk about that shit anymore. Uh, so, <laughs> I wasn't even talking about PhD. Yeah, yeah, because people were like, oh my God, this is a PhD podcast. No, 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 fuck that. It's just PhD <laughs> dread. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. climb back out of this hole. <laughs> so Oz, what have you been up to this week? I've been up to a lot. I've been trying to settle back into London. Yeah. I had a gig on Thursday mm -hmm. in Reading. Uh, I went to see Company on Friday. Sorry, what is Company? It is a musical. Oh, I thought you meant Friends. <laughs> like company. I mean, it's a it's musical about Friends. So it's, nice. yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> I love musicals, all of them. Is, is that what you've been up to this week, Sahel? What have you been up I to? I've been, I've, I've eaten. Yeah, that's good. Probably um, good. Multiple times. Yeah. And then uh, I'm really fucked today, actually, because I went to Bristol. Yeah. And I've been self-esteem for two days. Let me tell you, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were working all... Wow. No. I have less pity for you now. Oh, you know, I thought you said you were on a shoot. You told me you were shooting. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that I paid someone to do the work I was supposed to do. <laughs> so Should you Bristol. be saying that on record? <laughs> <laughs> it's his business. It's my business. Well, his business is his business, it's Alex. my business, shit. No, no, it's, it's uh, my IG Ig Zero. Oh, okay. So it's okay then. Yeah, it's okay then. It's fine. <laughs> so a journalist listening to this, you're like, oh man, we should, we should hire us a help. Nah, man, he's gonna... He... <laughs> it's nah. called subcontracting. Sub right? Subcontracting. That's what it's called. You don't know that subcon... Is, is it legal? Is it legal? Yeah. We will make it legal. Probably. Oh. <laughs> Probably. Uh, uh, no, but legitly, I, I booked all the two shoots over the weekend and I had to hire some guy to do it. Yeah, to do the shoots, which I was like, yo, this is quite sick because I've hired these guys to do this and I'm still making money. <laughs> I was like, yo, I should do this. I have often. so many questions. <laughs> as in, <laughs> as in, I pay them a certain amount, but then the client pays me a set, an overall amount. Uh huh. So I've paid them, let's say, one twenty. Well, but <laughs> right, this way I, I did nothing. <laughs> you could go on like a nice holiday if you did. But imagine, right. I did that five. This is how business works, isn't it? You, you, you just does it. It's like I pay some guy to do his job, right? And then I earn money, money from yeah. that. All right. And then the difference between yeah. what I pay him yeah. and what I receive is my profit. Well, we do actually have a really, really good guest today. We're joined by Alex Fafega. Alex, please introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And why have you decided to join us today? Um, my name is Alex. Um, obviously, Alex said that my namesake. Um, I'm generally so bad at like saying what I do or what I am. So I normally use this um, term that I'm a maker of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. 
Um, essentially, I work a lot on technology. Most of the time, working with organisations to build like new products and mm. new services. However, um, a lot of my work is really kind of trying to be focused on like positive human interaction and leveraging emerging technology to sort of get to that sort of desired goal of a positive um, human interaction. Oh, wow. See, that sounds like lots and lots of different things. Um, and it sounds like, how do you have all the time to do all that like stuff? What, how did you get into this, more or less? Um, to be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> That's <laughs> the perfect asked, answer. I always get asked that question. I think, um, I think it was more like, I wanted to get into tech because... It pays well, isn't it? And I didn't have to wear suits. That's the <laughs> honest truth. Like, I don't... And then I think it's like, yeah, you get in, you see the excitement, you see the fancy pay, and then over time you begin to... Well, for me, I know definitely that I went on this journey of maturity and being able to expand my mind. So I think after then it was like, okay, I'm kind of bored of this type of stuff. And I've always had this desire about the next step what is the next step what is that next thing what's that next direction like I actually wanted to work spend most of my time working in fashion tech that was kind of like a goal I was really interested in how like the physical and the digital worlds could sort of come together especially that was like inspired by the internet of things and loads of like me spending time reading tons of sci-fi and getting sort mm. of caught up in this sort of um I don't know like um in my own world type thing and then I remember I was doing my master's and then um Someone was like to me, okay, why don't you look at the ethical implications of like the physical and digital worlds coming together? And I was like, ethics are oh, that's so dead, you know, because it generally it, it just sounded mad dead. I, I, I'll be honest, to everyone, like it wasn't like I really got into this whole ethics space and was like, yeah, ethics. So um, I like that. Then I then I started like saying, okay, cool, I'm going to look into this ethical implications. Um, I'm going to look in artificial intelligence, and it was like, okay. You know, I always say that artificial intelligence is like the least most understood, most overhyped technological breakthrough in modern times. Nobody understands it, but everybody talks about it. And so I decided to look at, okay, and, and at the time, bear in mind that I was actually in a fashion design school doing a master's and I was like the only person here interested in technology. So it was like, okay, I'm going to write a thesis trying to leverage sort of, um, there's a thing called speculative design, speculative fiction. And a lot, there are like a number of designers who have like tried to use speculative fiction in terms of how they sort of shape what a potential future looks like, what a um, potential type of stuff. And I was really interested in those type of like um, ways of working. I felt a lot of it was very avant-garde and stuff you see in artist galleries, but I was really interested in how that could be sort of being used in like maybe a real world scale. What is fashion tech? What kind of stuff does that mean? So, so fashion tech is literally about, so like stuff like the materials and the textures and how do you sort of create, like um, Google has this project with Levi called Project Jackal. I probably said it so bad, but they created a jacket which can essentially sort of heat you up. Um, like, so, you know, but trying to take that relationship that we have with our clothes to like another level or enhance them. There's an organization called Lumia and it's created by Ma uh, Madison Maxi. She's in the States, um, a young, um, ex um, talented black woman who's doing like really amazing stuff. And their company there does a lot of fashion tech in terms of changing the ways how. So um, is it is it like 
you're basically trying to make smart clothes. Yeah, yeah, you're basically trying to make right. smart clothes. But that was one part of it. The other part as well, I was really interested in the retail experience of like how like there's like brands like Burberry, Nike, um, that were really that have been really big on like that sort of retail experience of like trying to merge the digital and physical worlds together. And I was really interested. I'm really interested in space and 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 and, and spatial design in terms of like. How do you make a space? Like, if you think of it, people go to Starbucks. It is a coffee shop, but it has so much other aspects to it. It can also be a social meeting place. Maybe we can't do a podcast in there because it'd be bad and noisy, but you have the ability to do stuff. In a retail store, it's very much you go in, you buy stuff, get the fuck out of here. That's generally that type of approach. And what I was really interested in was like, can we make the retail store of the future more than just come and buy things and change that? aspects of it I was just really interested in like like my dream was to work on random stuff and hope that it provokes some sort of conversation so I was really mm. interested in that provocative mm. type of approach of working but you have to get paid you have to pay your bills on it so it was like how do you find a balance with trying to look at provocative ways of working but also getting paid so it was that's always been like a interesting thing for me but yeah yeah I was gonna say but interesting you're talking about meeting spaces because like let's say for example um, you know, you go to a vape shop yeah. that has a big community around it. It won't just be, you just go to the vape shop just to buy your vape juice yeah. or whatever, but you go there and you interact and you engage with people, have discussions around it. So is that the kind of thing you meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's really like, it was really, because um, that was kind of based, I'm really interested in the concept of participatory design. And so that is that that is sort of defined as, um you collaboratively designing a space or an environment with the people who will utilize that space. Mm. So during my masters, I wrote stuff on like urban regeneration and about how urban regeneration um, is very much suited to business needs rather than like the citizens, the needs of the citizens. Mm. Um, and how that, you know, councils, what they do is that they say, we're going to regenerate this particular area. Let's do some public consultations. And I was really interested about doing more than that, but co-designing like an actual space with the people and, and, and the people being an active participant in that sort of regeneration process. There's been some examples in like um in Scandinavia with like um architecture projects where they where they were regenerating this area but it was like the whole space was, was basically co designed by the citizens who live in the space and um like um like the project's really interesting, like uh, I forgot what it's called. There's one in London as well, it's called Build Up. But okay. they work with kids, yeah, and they design spaces that like architectures okay. and stuff. But so, it's not; so, it's obviously small scale compared to that. But it's a good idea. So, so you're saying um, you're just taking the behaviours of the typical like audience of that say yeah. retail experience, and you're creating yeah. an experience rather than just you're here to buy I don't yeah. know, a shoe. Yeah, just, and yeah. so people, it's more like a like a hangout for people, right? Because yeah. they. Um, are there some places where like airports typically do mm. this where they study the behaviors of passengers yeah and they create the terminal to like yeah, suit so, that experience yeah. right so it's that sort of thing yeah it's kind of a thing but it's more like being a very i think when, when you think of it one of the things is that everything we have right now in this room is designed by somebody else mm. and it's very much like the, the microphones we're using the you know the clothes we're wearing is designed by, by someone else and, 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 and how design has always been done is that the power of who controls the experience is normally in a designer and the designer designs the space and then people fit into that space or you use this equipment or if you know this podcast equipment now like for example Apple removing 
the headphones and saying to everybody, you got to use AirPods, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, Apple, what happens to me if my AirPods die? And I need to listen to music and like what happens then? But that's very much a designer controlling the experience and you having to be forced to adapt to that mm. experience. And what I was trying to do was, what I've always been interested in is reducing, is, how can I say, democratizing power mm-hmm. and basically getting the person who's, I'm going to utilize this space, let's share this power and let's create this space, which A, at the end of the day, you organization make your money, but we are in a space that we enjoy. And that type of stuff. And it's kind of, you know, inspired by people like Foucault, where it's like power isn't neither good or bad, but it's hierarchies. And I was really, I've been always been interested in like democratizing hierarchy of power and trying to make that level grounds. I feel like I'm going in a tangent here, isn't it? But, so, but, like, but that's. So, so it's products, they're products that are tailored to the individual almost. Yeah, right? in a way. In, yeah, yeah, I would say that. It's like. Um, and so, like, I set up a company with three of my friends um, called Kamuzi, and our, our work is really about positive human interaction and emerging technology. But the most important things in our projects is this sort of co-design piece. So everything we build or everything we work on, we always say to the organisation who's hired us, this doesn't work if we don't have the people who we're building for in the room or they're not actively in the conversation. It isn't like we build it, put it in front of you. Okay, look, we've built this new thing. Here you go, take it. But it's more like from the beginning, we go spend time with the, the people who were meant to be building for. Have you given me a brief? How do we democratize podcast access for minorities? Okay, cool. I'm going to go spend time with minorities who have something to say and try to understand their values, their attitudes about just generally them maybe expressing their viewpoint and feeling mm. like they don't have a space to do so. Or podcasting equipment is crazy expensive or they don't know how to use Adobe Edition, for example. Um, and there it's like, okay, we come back, we're like, we've got this thing. It's like, okay, let's ideate some stuff. Involve them in the ideation process as well. Um, then we make stuff. Um, you know, We're very big on like making tangible things. Then we like concept test with them and shape that. But there's that sort of very, throughout the whole process, very hyper-collaborative, um, rather than like, we are the designer, we've designed the space, we've built this technology, and you just have to deal with it. Which is how most technology development is very yeah. much set up today. Um, and we're trying to sort of change the aspect of how we build things and put things in the world, you know? But like, so like how far, because that that sounds like miles away from it being like an everyday experience. Do you know what I mean? Like how how does it how does it become mainstream? Because it just seems so expensive to do it on such a like an individual, almost like group wise basis. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think um, so. There's like things around. Um, there's something called um, cats. Cats Holmes or Katie Holmes. I might be bad if she has this podcast. Please forgive me for saying your name wrong. But she had this emphasis on inclusive design. Mm-hmm. which was sort of she, when she was at Microsoft she was the director of inclusive design at Microsoft now she's director of user experience design at Google but she had this emphasis on that inclusive design you normally solve for one but extend to many you know when we work on projects sometimes our projects are like six weeks long sometimes they're like two weeks long so you're always having to be like can we like for example we, we worked with the BBC on a project about looking at the future of news and that demographic essentially was more like people between the ages of one, I think it was like under 26, looking at how we can uh, speak to different people on social economical class, 
um, also in terms of race as well. But one of the key things is that whatever we built needs to work for them, but it also needs to work for everybody else mm. as well. So it wasn't like we were building something and it's like, this is only for 20, under 26, but it was like, we're targeting hair, but our solutions also needs to accommodate that 45 year old middle class individual who's probably got more understanding of a political topic than somebody who's like, I don't fucking care. I just want to know what's happening with Brexit. Mm. And so, but but having that, because it's true, it is pretty expensive. That's yeah. the reason why maybe people don't do it or mm-hmm. in a project, these things get thrown out. But I think we've seen some of the news, we've seen some of the problematic things, you know, and I think it's it's very important for us to, to be able to advocate for this type of stuff. So it is still very niche. Um, that's true. Um, we've been quite fortunate to be able to like slowly grow and build a business and grow a sustainable business trying to focus on this niche areas. But I think the world that we're living in right now is sort of opening up opportunities, unfortunately. I'm kind of leveraging the negative opportunities in the world to to, to do stuff, which is sad, but it's... Yeah, but yeah. that's great. It's pragmatic, isn't it? I mean, a lot you're talking about, I mean, it makes sense. It's like, if you're making something, you want the end user to reap the most benefits yeah. out of it. But you're right, like the designer holds the keys to experience. And unless they interact with people who are experiencing that, then you're right, it's difficult to kind of assume what they mm. want. Um, but yeah, I think I it's think, a good idea. And I think I just want to add one context as well. And, I, and it's just in case anybody listens to this. When I use the Would word... <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Oh. Would you fuck you? Fuck you guys. Excellent. No shade. No shade. Just in case anyone listens. Fuck you. So hell, take him out. No, no. That's because that's <laughs> because you know that that's what happens when you don't have me in the room, Alex. Uh, okay. So no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it clear. No shade. Because uh, no the shade, shade has been thrown. No, no, no. Because obviously my. My girlfriend says that my delivery of words sometimes come across a shade, and so she, <laughs> so she said to me to she's, she's spending a lot of time, like she spent a lot of time looking at drag culture in the UK, and she's like mentioned to me to say stuff like no shade. So I'm now mentioning stuff like no shade when, when my attention. But I will I will start that sentence again. I will start that sentence again, and it was more like for for anyone listening to this podcast. In context, the designer is can be anyone. Doesn't mean necessarily I'm a designer, but I'm saying a designer is the as an individual organization who controls the space or organizes the things behind the experience. Um, yeah, so that's why. So that's that's kind of what I just want to put it out there for context. Yeah. So like, I think it's quite interesting because uh, like you were talking about your work in like the future of news and stuff and how you design it from like a, a user experience uh, like perspective. And so hell, like you make the news, not like you actually make, like you do terrible yeah, things yeah, or yeah. things. You, you you facilitate the news being broadcast. It's true. That is technically what I do. <laughs> so like, you know, from both angles, I guess, because you're making the content mm. and Alex, you're like, look, you were looking in that project, I guess, at how you can deliver that content and stuff. So. Yeah. Is What's a design sprint? I really want to know that. <laughs> so a design sprint was um, created by Google. Um, 
the venture arm. So Google, the big technology company, has an investment arm that invests in crazy amount of technology companies um, across the world. And so their sort of Google Venture Design Sprint was this whole concept of one of the things about the tech industry speed is like their most favorite thing they always want to mm. build things so super fast and the design sprint was like in five days you have a problem on a monday but by the friday you would have had some sort of solution that you mm. could test with people and so that's what the whole concept of a yeah. design sprint is like there's a book on it called sprint and it's like how to solve complex problems yeah in five days mm. one of the challenges about those type of stuff is that it creates this commoditization that you can solve problems in five days mm. I honestly don't think problems can be solved in five days but yeah. that is the narrative that's framed yeah. so yeah yeah so you did one of these with the BBC didn't you yeah much yeah. more longer one <clears throat> than five days I just have to make that clear <laughs> and, and and what we did because one of the issues about that sprint process now is that the sprint process assumes that the organisation has an understanding of the needs of the particular individual that they're trying to solve the problem for. You know, and, and, and so it doesn't have a... For us, we use that very big on people being a part of the experience. It was to... We had to implement... We had to change the way how the... How the... Basically, the book talks about stuff and create our own stuff. You know, it was like, you know, um, getting the... Like, doing interviews with people and getting them to understand, like, OK, if, if the BBC... Wasn't was a person? What do you see the BBC as? Just getting the values and mm. attitudes on like stuff like about the BBC, but also understanding how they consume news. The brief was like, how do we get people to participate and understanding these better? Mm. Participate for me was like I was like, whoa, who wants to really participate with the news? I think people just want to understand it mm. more. But it's like trying to understand those things, you know, of would people how do they understand the news? How are they currently consuming the news? And then it's like, you after that, you got all these insights, you begin to ideate on how the amazing content that the journalists and the BBC are doing, how do we maybe present that in a different way? Mm. So, like, we had a project called Perspectives, and what Perspectives was all about was um, one of the things that was said is that, you know, a particular news organisation can, from what they said, they felt that the BBC probably told news in a very biased way. Mm. Um, you know, I'm trying not to shade the BBC in this. Hey, but, so hell. <laughs> but, you know, well, but... Are, it's all matter of perspective, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's it, all it is. It yeah. is perspective, that, that is true. Mm. Um, or some article, you know, like, you know, I might, I might disagree with that, but that's <laughs> a debate for another day. But, like, mm. stuff like maybe how the, the BBC tells stories about knife crime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or like the Rinrush scandal, and you know mm. some questionable stuff that mm. happened there. So what we decided to do in this particular project was like the content we're going to use to like test these solutions are going to be about knife crime mm. and the Rinrush scandal, which you know is very touchy because mm. these was at the time when all of these things were going on, and um, and so we so one of the projects we did was one of the things we did was called perspectives, and perspectives it's like. Um, I'm going to show it to the room at the same time while we're um, doing this. Um, but Perspectives is all about... I'm just showing it to the room at the same time. I'm impressed with the multitasking. <laughs> so I'm even impressed by my own multitasking. <laughs> but Perspectives was like this particular type of stuff. So you have mm. a BBC article, yeah. you can read it in text, but you're able to read mm. yeah. video content with it yeah with it yeah yeah but one of the most important thing about it was that 
you were getting different perspectives. So you could get the victim of a knife crime who goes, look what happened. I've just been robbed by somebody with mm. a knife. You had a gang member who was like, this is the reasons why I have a knife. The police chief also saying her comments about like, you know, because, you know, one of the things was that when people talk about knife crime, people attribute knife crime happens because of this or because of that. So the police chief, her and her comments was pretty important. We had an anti-violence campaigner, Ocho, share his also thoughts around it. We had a professor of criminology also giving that sort of academic understanding of mm. like knife crime and also a drill music DJ who was to talk about how drill music doesn't contribute to knife crime. And all of these things are archival content that the BBC already had mm. to sort of create this, but they were all scattered across yeah. different places. It was like the DJ content is probably something that's done in a one extra yeah. interview. But it was like, can we consolidate that, get somebody to read this article and to have a better perspective than a text-based mm. article? You know, even one of the, everything I think in my head is that it's up to the BBC to choose what content they want to put out there. So they mm. could put six pieces of content that all have a negative perspective mm. or it could be to the integrity of maybe that journalist to perhaps say let's have a mixed view but it opens up a debate you yeah. know there's this whole debate about right now about like should you, a white supremacist have the same platform to speak about their thoughts compared to somebody else and that's been a recent debate that's happened mm. on Twitter lately uh, that I've seen so it's like how do you it's very it, it, it's very topical and I think yeah. one of the good points you make is at the BBC the idea is that you we, we, you create impartiality by having these perspective mm. of views and do you know what working at the BBC that's very true every output has a different slant because different people work on it and the idea is across the whole spectrum you get impartiality but does that actually work because mm. who the fuck watches everything on the yeah, BBC so trying to bring that shit together. Yeah. You think it's a good idea, man? So, so, just going back to what you said, the, the content that would come through uh, perspectives is still controlled by, say, whoever the news organisation yeah. has that content, yeah. right? So, how how then can you branch that out? Can you, can you, you, can you bring in other hmm. sources of content to give a more balanced view? Because otherwise hmm. you're always going to be caught in this loop aren't you yeah, even though as well says mm. they as an organization like say the bbc they can take perspectives from different mm. branches of the organization mm. but if say say hypothetically i didn't like the, an organization like the bbc then i'm not still gonna buy into that content because i'm still gonna have my own biases right mm. i'm gonna be like this is still the bbc so it's like biased or whatever or whatever other organization that i don't want to engage with so how do you how can you change that i mean if you if we live in a world say where this platform is like completely out there and say you were able to consolidate in the same like news story sources from like the guardian sources from the sun sources from bbc itv channel 4 like all of them together like all the not mainstream but you know mainstream air quotes um news organizations how could you put that together without bias? Because, you know, whoever has control of like this perspective, perspective, perspectives, perspectives, yeah. Like whoever has control of perspectives, um, they've got to be independent and they've got to be impartial to put it all together. So if one news organization controls their perspectives output and another controls theirs, um, they're going to have bias. And even if you were trying to put them all together, whoever 
collate all of different sources, it's their bias and stuff. Yeah, so. I, I think I think one of the hardest things is that I don't think impartiality actually exists. I, I don't believe in that. Maybe um, I, 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 I agree. I wrote an article about this okay, a few I, years ago saying impartiality doesn't exist. Mm, I love it's, to read it. Yeah, you know, and I think I think I, I gave a talk recently um, on Friday. Um, Alex was the MC for it, and. I've mentioned it, that I don't believe in the concept that we could remove bias. Mm. I think we acknowledge that we're all biased in our own ways. Um, one of the things that I did write in a particular piece, which I see across me, was I mentioned the thing about there were weak biases and there I, were... I like that you're looking <laughs> at your own piece onto Hell's laptop. You're like, what did I write? Let me just... Let me just <laughs> no, I, 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 I actually have it on my phone here. I actually opened up the article on my phone <laughs> so I could so I could say some of the sweet <laughs> stuff that I wrote in that as well at the same time. Yeah, don't, like, misquote yourself. Don't misquote myself, yeah. <laughs> I wrote some good shit. Let me, let me, let me drop that. Let me drop but <laughs> I, mentioned, I mentioned the whole concept that there's, like, weak biases, like somebody say, like, ah, oh, spider, um, or, like... Like a uh, harmless bias, that's that's what I wrote here. Like things can be illustrated as a harmless bias, and then they are harmful biases. But I think the challenge is for us is to acknowledge our bias. I mean, like oh, we're biased. How do we how do we limit the impact of our bias? I don't think removing is such a yeah. Let's remove bias. I don't believe that exactly can happen. If a behavior scientist mm. was in the room. I think they were also groove that because you learn them yeah. over a long period yeah. of time, don't you? And then it's just like so hardwired into you, don't even know no. that yeah. you have it. Mm. You know, so it's like yeah, that, it's not yeah. perfect. It's not a perfect system. How do you inform people? Well, you can't inform everyone perfectly about everything, but it's trying to do the best you can. Yeah. In the fact, we are human beings. We have we view the world within the prism of our sensibilities, which you know instills with us biases mm. but if we have for example peer review if you have like an editor and an assistant editor etc and then we have a cohesive you have a broad range yeah, of opinions so. overall then you kind of get there but it's like you can't remove bias yeah you can't it's, it's it, there it goes back to the journalist the journalist <laughs> is, is, is it, let's think of an article the journalist is the designer of that experience you know they choose what we're going to read and consume but they also in the head say, okay, I think this would be more important to talk about than this particular topic. And then mm. you might have a word limit as well. So it's like, how do you condense everything into a word limit to communicate a, a, a particular thing? It's like even, um, you know, as academics in the room here will say, what's the difficult thing of trying to write a paper and consolidate it in a number of words? And, you know, you've got to pick, you know, as much as academic papers say to be like... Um, unbiased or impartial in giving your thoughts. Either way, like, I don't believe, like, I, I remember finding academic papers, I was praying that I could find academic papers that worked with my argument. Mm. It's like somebody had said something that I I truly believe in mm. and then <laughs> I was digging deep. I found as I thank God, oh yeah, I'm going to use this. But like, so I think it's, yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's just a bit of confirmation bias, yeah. though, isn't it? See, what I love is you're there, like, oh, this is a new idea. I know, I think I'm being a bit shifty, trying to find something that you know really, really like backs up what I'm thinking. And me and I was like, yeah, that's 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 every minute of every day. Like. <laughs> that's our existence. Yeah, yeah current existence. You yeah. just defined it. Like I'm writing my PhD thesis right now. I'm there, just like, okay, yeah, I, I see what you say there. But I'm going to take a small counter argument and I'm going to back it up with these twenty things that say what I want to say. Yeah. All right. 
it's I'll, like it's like flat earthers isn't it it's uh are you comparing hey, don't compare us to flat earthers <laughs> have you seen that film? have you seen that new documentary beyond the curve no i no. recommend it it's freaking good i don't good. think calling us like comparing us to flat earthers as we're about to like finish our phd <laughs> is a helpful thing for you to say so. no it's a good thing to say about flat earthers that's that's what i'm saying talked a bit about your work looking at how you can take design and tech bring them together and like make a better mm. i guess public experience make everything better i guess society wise one thing i'd be really interested in hearing from you about is like really more on that tech bias and like with your work in like ai and stuff because you yeah. had that uh you did your was it your masters in like ai and ethics and i like earlier that you said ethics is dead um, I'm, I'm going to take that, right? And when I start my, like, uh, coup for world power, mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that on the front. Well, look, this guy with a master's in AI ethics says ethics is dead. So... Yes, uh, but know. he studied it, so he knows. Yeah, he knows. So I actually did a master's in innovation. And don't, don't ask me what that means, because we left that... I mean, all of us left that master's <laughs> that's, what, that's exactly what everybody's like. Yeah. When people ask me about my research, I'm like, this is what I do, but don't ask me about it, because yeah. I have no clue. I have no clue. But, um, yeah, I did innovation and um but it, it was really interesting that I, I decided to go around the ethical ai route like i never woke up in the morning and ever said to myself i'm gonna look at technology ethics i just wanted to make money i'm not even gonna lie to you but um i thought okay you know what this is a this is a worthy area to sort of explore and then i began to then i came across a article by um i forgot Julia, um, Julia um, Angwin, and she was um, at ProPublica at the time, ProPublica's investigative um, journalistic news platform, and she had written a piece on machine bias. And um, and I was like, okay. And she and what she was talking about was a particular sort of um, risk assessment software in the States that was sort of um, skirting out biased um, risk assessments against um, black um, people compared to white people who were also being sort of analysed in regards to that risk assessment software. And so one of the things was that people who, like a black person who had like a higher criminal, uh, had a less criminal record, was seen as more high risk, where a white individual who was had like a very seasoned criminal record was seen as quite low risk. Um, and Ozzy and, and Alex will understand this, that you are an academic, you're writing a thesis, you see this amazing article that's really well done, but you know you can't cite... Well, you can cite this, but you you, you can't make your paper based on this investigative article because your thesis or... or I, because somebody will say it's too journalistic. So I was like, this is how I felt, isn't it? And Alex, why are you making a hole right now? I'm, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right now. But I sure. <laughs> you know. So, and I was like, oh shit, this is sick, but I'm going to have to find more stuff. And you got to see it. This AI ethics space is so new. Mm. Like, it's like a space that sort of kicked off in like 2016 or something like that. So you're writing a thesis and everything is new things are happening every week like somebody's contributing to the space every week it was so hard um but i started like investigating trying to understand okay how did this sort of risk assessment score 
how do how were they making like judgment on on these individuals? How were they creating algorithms that were making judgment on these individuals? And so, what I decided to look at, they had this particular type of survey that they gave out to the participants, and um, the survey was touching on things like, um, have you been arrested before? How many friends have been arrested? Have you as your parents divorced? Like it was asking like questions which it wasn't like. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Specifically asking you, are you black? Are you white? Are you, are you, you know, are you this or you that? But it was more like asking questions which sort of could be linked to particular sort of nuances of race and, and other particular demographical um, information. And so it was like a survey, and you, you know, most of us know how surveys are already biased by design in the mm. first place. And that was a bit problematic um, for me. And so I looked back at like his history, you know, in, in, in the 70s, you know, um, in the criminal justice system did use race and other demographical information to sort of sentence someone until someone said, whoa, it's a bit problematic. Um, you did have like the former attorney general 
of the United States who also mentioned and referred that a lot of our risk assessment scores may be particularly biased. Um, and so, you know, where the bias comes in is that you look at the way we train the algorithm, you know, you train it with data sets. What's the challenge of things about particular data sets? I don't know if Alex Neck is getting hot there, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like, what, what, what is, what, like, I'd be interested to know what data set because one of the challenging things about the organization who built the software is that they didn't want to open up what their like how this algorithm basically was trained made, was is, trying it, to is train. it a compass when you're talking about yeah, it? Compass, yeah. yeah. So but they're called north north point that's the name mm. of the company so where was this used was it just used with people who are like um who had committed crimes when they were arrested or was this just survey given out to general people like how did no. it work so it was when you get arrested in a court case so I think even in one of the pieces I talked about how it was used in the Supreme Court of where Costin oh my god I said that so bad but, but it was used in a particular sort of state like a very this was like I think it was like this was like the first major sort of like where it was ever used in the Supreme Court and um, I think the person who got sentenced was trying to, I think he was trying to make an appeal, I don't actually remember, but the Supreme Court basically made some references saying, look, don't use this This software's purpose is to be an assistive tool, rather to be this tool that sort of determines your direction and you should make stuff. And I think, when I mean, you think of how AI is marketed, a lot of the times it's marketed as this fully intelligent thing and it's this smartest thing in the world. You're missing out if you're not using it. Where in reality, it's just sophisticated algorithms, you know. And, and, and one of the things that the Supreme Court mentioned was that this is where it comes back to the whole transparency conversation: is that and something like the criminal, you know, justice system is that's like you know a very important thing. And it's like if we're not being transparent about how it makes judgment, how are we able to critique it? Mm. How is someone being able to challenge, you know, that, how, you know, how is how someone able to challenge that sort of assessment and say, um, this is wrong? However, when it comes back to bias, this is kind of perhaps reflective of um, how things are today. You know, as a, as a black man, six foot three, or six four, sorry, beard. Like that you, you jumped up from six foot to six foot. <laughs> like, like you have to. Anything above six foot, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I'm just no, going to add I'm, a little bit more. <laughs> nah, I'm six no, foot. Nah. And, and, and I, I, I look intimidating before people have ever met me, mm. you know, and, and, and seeing that, if someone's to do a risk assessment on me already, just by my looks alone, they might go, whoa. Yeah, I get you. You know, yeah, you know yeah. but, and if you, you know, so these things are sort of become reflective in terms of the you know the data sets we generate the things the algorithms we train and then the software we build and then we put into a system that is already probably problematic in the first place and it just over amplifies things already and so what people try to do is let's reduce bias by coding out the bias but I'm like we can't Right, so like this is isn't this the the biggest criticism of all AI like stuff that keeps coming out like AI that's predicting you know like homosexual faces AI that's predicting Mm. criminal faces is that you're just teaching it the bias that you already had so you're not really you're not if anything you're coding in that bias because of the data sets you're using so do you think we're ever going to be able to genuinely code code that out and have unbiased AI? I think you have to generate new data sets. I think, um, like, there was a thing in the, in the in, you know, and in, 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 I'm around people who do a lot of stuff, uh, you're a biologist, 
So, like, there was an example of how AI was, AI is being used to detect skin diseases in people, but it couldn't do it in darker skin. Right. And, 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 and what's that? There's perhaps <laughs> lack of data sets for individuals with darker skin that, you know, and so people's, let's say this hospital's got this, we've got this new sophisticated AI system that should be able to detect mm. things, blah, 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 blah. You know, a, you know, a, you know an, an Asian man goes to go get a check on skin. Okay, no, you're fine, but you're mm. probably not fine. Mm. But, you know, so that's the dangers mm. of those type of stuff. And it's like, okay, for someone like me, my head is like, those data sets, we have to generate new data sets, mm. you know? If that means we need to basically sit down with, or, you know, how, you know, how do we generate these data sets? Probably be an expensive process. But it's important for us to um, to do so because I think, yeah, that's that's like my like the whole AI being able to gaydar thing, like it's so like I I don't even understand how they've tried to basically mm. train an algorithm to sort of say okay, you know, this person's most likely. Mm. I mean, it's, it 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 takes exactly what you said. I think yeah. if you look at that research that was done, it takes faces that are publicly and available and faces of people who are yeah. out and also faces yeah, of people you know true. when you put when you put your picture online yeah. you're putting like the best like angles the yeah, best so. version right so it's not really taking everyday faces mm. and then like trying to to learn it yeah. so it's taken a very biased data set mm. in many ways and it's learned this to be like a gay feature but like so, I agree. Like I used yeah. to also have that criticism, but mm. there's a lot of people who think. I think that I think there's a fair a point in like getting neutral data sets, but then again, it goes back to the journalism thing: is that there's inherent bias in how you collect, how you perceive data, maybe in how you yeah. frame the questions that you're putting in your survey. Yeah. So that is the challenge, the technical case, the challenge, isn't it? It's, it's human fault. Yeah, that's ultimately the the problem here. I think I think I think that's where they talk about the stuff of having diverse teams. Mm. Like mm. you know, like someone like Aussie, given that like very articulated information about how that argument comes to life, and Aussie can, if Aussie was in the room, Aussie mm. could go, "Why the fuck are you gonna just focus on celebrities to mm. train to generate data sets on, mm. on, on on your algorithms? You know, why the fuck should we even do this in the first place? Like you know, especially when you understand that sexuality is a spectrum, and it isn't mm. by physical." Mm features right. that's a, personally a very personal experience to the individual and like but the way I think that's obviously a technology thing of we you know let's let's try to solve this solution let's make it fun and gimmicky but I think for me it has particular problems and mm. I, I don't really see that as a positive human interaction mm. as such but I think it's it is, a, it is we are flawed as humans mm. um, I always say that the internet's a repository of evil um, because that's <laughs> that is such a great line. It's like <laughs> the internet is repository. Have you seen my Twitter feed? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Can we put that on a t-shirt, please? <laughs> the internet is a repository of evil, man. That's our merch stuff. Yeah, it? cool. I want that on a t-shirt tomorrow. But, but, you know, but so we are always going to be necessarily flawed, and I think it goes back to like um, it goes back to like Facebook and social. Like, but it's like when you think of it, like when like there was an article that said. Facebook, like the you know unfortunate um, incident that happened in Christchurch, New Zealand, and um, and how like 
some of you were an article about how Facebook is designed for, there was like a, you know, a very upsetting video that was shared on the internet, but it's like Facebook is designed to share. That's its whole purpose as a platform. And in and, 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 and design world, UX design world, it's like we have, they have people like personas. Oh, you know, persona is somebody who is in uni and wants to connect with his uni friends or, or their uni friends. Let's get them to sign up to Facebook. But one of the things that we talked about was we never think about the negative people who might use these platforms mm. and how do we essentially design for those as well? Mm. You know, how do you know how do we design for these particular type of things? But you know, when you're not thinking about the consequences of everything you're doing, you know, this type of stuff. So it it does kind of frustrate me in a way when mm. I like especially, you know, that what recently happened and just seeing how you know, like, yeah, really yeah. how social media can contribute to that. Yeah. 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 You know, you know but that is that mm. the question it, got, it sparks up loads of debates. Mm. Is that should that be advocated as like I said, if the internet's a positive evil, mm. internet reflects humanity mm. you know the question is should we like I always think about it do you limit these experiences or do you like what is the ethical debate do you unleash about, yeah like yeah, yeah. Or do you like what is the yeah, ethical yeah. debate about yeah do you like facilitate or do you suppress it you like, suppress yeah mm. like then is it free speech or is it acceptable speech mm. this is the type of conversation I have with mm. my, my girlfriend a lot it's like mm. Um, she's she's amazing because she's basically had to listen to me rant about this stuff and stuff in it. But I always think I always think about it. It's like it's free speech advocated or should it be acceptable speech? Mm. Mob culture, all of these like it's very nuanced, isn't yeah. it? And I think you know people say, oh, it's a black and white thing. It's free speech or not? But in actuality, the world and human civilization isn't a perfect thing, and mm. there isn't a perfect solution. It's conversation that we have as collective yeah. society around what is acceptable but it all feeds back to what you're saying isn't it it's mm. all about biases and you know inherent yeah. flaws of people and how that filters down into algorithms mm. and how they use mm. so it's all kind of linked isn't it I guess Alex, we've been talking about like all these biases and tech, all these flawed data sets and how the internet can, you know, be a repository of evil and that. Um, we talked about like that survey in the US used for risk assessment, but what about here in the UK? Is it that much different? Because I know that we've talked before about, you know, the gang's matrix. I was wondering like, could you explain that a little bit more? Like, what is this thing? Um, it's a good question. Cause I think one of the issues, I think one of the good things maybe in the States is that getting that access to that information was pretty important mm. but it did start from the investigative journalists mm. who were able to like get the information like get to find out how to they got the survey they uploaded it on the internet to get people to be able to access it and then it triggered this whole academic debate um on it and i think in the uk we haven't been able to have maybe that particular type of access to how um, these, um, you know, these sort of systems are being used in, in, in policing and also in terms of maybe, um, you know, risk assessment in regards to of, uh, offending and that particular type of stuff. But you, you mentioned the gang matrix and the gang matrix, as Amnesty, um, Amnesty International says, because they've done like a very big campaign on against the gang matrix, is that 
It was launched by the Met Police in, tw- in 2012. The Gang Matrix is a database of suspected gang members in London. It, its purpose is to be a risk management tool focused on preventing serious violence. Um, but Amnesty International basically wrote a report about this and that how it's um, fit on fit for purpose. Um, one of the challenges for me is that I'm interested to know how people are placed into the database. Mm. I'm very interested in how information is shared. And I'm also interested in what their sort of real life impact for these young people who are basically disproportionately represented on it. You know, and, and, and one of the things about the sort of um, gang matrix is that it sort of uses a ranking system mm. of green, amber, or red. So, you know, everybody can imagine what that is without me having to describe that. Um, you know, so that's essentially what um, the particular type of thing is, you know, and, 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 and what the gang matrix is. And yeah. I mean, like, so is it, I don't know, from an ethics point of view like having something like that so this this i guess algorithm mm-hmm. hidden in this black box where the input is we don't know what but the output is a very tangible like people being watched by the police or people being affected in a multitude of ways that we might not even know about i mean is that something that you think is gonna keep going on because you know you said earlier that you're six three sorry six two sorry what six four i'm six four okay yeah so six two <laughs> alex is alex is moving mad in it but. <laughs> so this uh, this five eleven guy um are you five mm, what i'm just i'm, I'm five eight and you're not that much taller than me shut up i was five eight and yeah seven <laughs> i mean oh my oh toxic my masculinity <laughs> toxic masculinity i'm against toxic masculinity by the way but I'm reading a book by Bell's Hooks right now, Masculinity, oh. if anybody cares about what I'm sharing. I'm, 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 if anyone like, wants to know what I'm doing in my spare time, yeah. BT Dubs. <laughs> Yo, how the fuck could you dunk at year seven? That's dope. <laughs> what was that? I'm very bad at basketball. Oh, okay, oh, good, so good. I was, yeah, tall for nothing. Oh. Was, yeah. <laughs> tall for nothing. You need to reach, you know, high places. Yeah. It's no. always useful. But, like, in this world where, you know, people who look like you, who can essentially look intimidating. You know, you say that about like bias and that. Um, if someone like face-to-face can look intimidating on data, in sort of from a data set, can people look intimidating, if that makes sense? So, so you know, I think let's think of it, London has got heavy surveillance culture. Come on, I think we have the most CCTV network in the world. I don't know if, how true oh. that is, but... I know that I've heard people mention about London and the CCTV network that it has here. I think surveillance culture is a thing. You now have, um, you know, people who maybe drill music artists who are basically now having to ask the police. Police are basically giving them crime sentences based on because they rapped a certain, they performed a certain song mm. and they're being sentenced to prison. Music is a form of expression, and you know these are young black men who are pretty talented, but because they've said this lyric or said this mm. song, they've been sentenced. So we, we have a control, power dynamics are shifting in a particular type of way. Um, the, the gang matrix, yeah, I think, you know, you everybody here in this room will obviously understand. Like when I think of the gang matrix, described like that, it's a database that sort of ranks people. Obviously it's got parameters. Mm. It's got some sort of p- parameters that it's sort of been, that this individual's being measured by. Mm. So it probably measures like family networks. Has people in their family probably gone to prison? 
it's this person gone to prison. Where did they live? Mm. The postcode lottery. Like I grew up in Peckham and I always say it all the time. Like I grew up in Peckham and Peckham before Peckham became trendy. And where I live in Peckham, like many years ago was quite a very like interesting area to live in it. Like mm. now it's just, house prices are so expensive that <laughs> Peckham levels, isn't like, it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> like house prices now are so expensive I'm trying to use the right to buy. <laughs> to, get, to get on the ladder because like all people are buying you know like, houses are going from like 700k on my road I'm like what damn that's that's now yeah. but it wasn't like that 10 years ago I'm just going to say one sec uh, for everyone listening who's based in the UK like you know tax is coming get into an ISA get you know that help mm-hmm. to buy scheme like, put your money away make your money work for you alright the government's doing good things alright get get some of that cash anyway that, that's, that's our financial corner done. That's, that's finance <laughs> Alex wants the government to help him out. That's why he's saying good things. <laughs> look, look, with the amount of stuff we say, uh, we have to offset it. Otherwise, the Home Office is coming for me and Oz. This is Windrush level two, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, need, I, I can't have them after me. Okay, I've just come yeah. back in. Yeah, yeah. All right. They'll take, um, they'll take away my British passport. Because yeah, I, because yeah apparently got, that's the thing they do now. Right. So. I, just, I just applied for the thing to get into the States. Oh, well, the oh, Oz. The, the Esther. What it, Esther? Mm. Oh, you'll be fine yeah. on the Esther. It's like, when you try to apply for a visa. Good God. Like, <laughs> Canada was so easy. Canada did it in one second. Like, Canada was like, I, I applied for the ETA to get to Canada. Canada was like, oh, yeah, perfect. Mm. America's one was like, application pending. Mm. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, so, and I thought it was because I mentioned that I had another passport, which was a Nigerian passport. And I thought, I'm a fool. Yeah. Why did I mention this? But one of the most interesting things on that form mm. is that it asks you to put your social media down. Oh, optional shit. thing and yeah. if you don't read that it says optional in bracket mm, mm. you can put your social media there and it's, it's terrible wow yeah. Yeah. you're gonna have the fucking US look at your Twitter look at your, yeah, yeah home, Homeland Security yeah. looking yes. at you know but that's surveillance culture but mm. parameters these mm. are the things it's, my question is, is what, what, what were you how are you referencing somebody is green mm. red or yellow and I think one of the challenging things it was like stuff like us four here are friends. I might be a oh, friend who... Yes. Oh, wait, I'm, I, I've probably been a friend who's taken the wrong path in life. So was that hypothetical? Or are we friends? <laughs> no, we're friends. Well, I'm going to be friends now. I've been following Ozzy for... We've been following each other on Twitter for a long time now. But I finally met Ozzy in person. So. Look at that. Friends yeah, that's nice. <laughs> anyway, back to this hypothetical. Yeah, we, we can probably see each no other. No one's friends with you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just, this is my new friend. <laughs> Step away. So, Just going to turn your mic off. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we're friends, yeah. So we're friends. I've <laughs> unfortunately maybe taken a different path in life, mm. you know, uh, uh, you know, and and and. But we've all grown up in the same area. Mm. But you could, from what I've heard, you could, you could, you three could even be on the list mm. because you're friends with me mm. and we live in the same area. But mm. you lot uh, have got a journalist, comp- computational biologist, and a biologist in the room. Mm. Why are you lot on a fucking gang matrix? Mm. But mm. these are so it's like I'm interested in how are they putting people on there and how are they doing this and I think the database got leaked mm. and then they got the Met Police got fined mm. all in trouble by the I, ICO what's it Information Commissioner's yeah. office and yeah. I think they wrote some the thing about <laughs> people or organisations mm. is that they write like this 50 page report on how people do stuff and like do just write a one page blog help us understand mm. type of stuff um, okay. I did a Sky News interview like last year around like gender bias and AI uh, but the journalist um, who was who we did that topic was has 
was very interested in like predictive algorithms and how um especially the gang matrix and i know that we were trying to get freedom of information requests mm. to like understand these things the hardest thing mm. to necessarily do so i know that he's recently done like a documentary mm. on it for sky news about like the gang matrix and mm. type of stuff but there are other sort of surveillance or systems that are being used in policing but this is quite hidden, isn't it? So mm-hmm. it, is, it is something for us to recognise. You know, we're having the facial recognition software trials happening at particular train stations mm. and things like that. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the stats around stop and search, for example, right? Stop and search, you're four to five times more likely to be stopped and search if you're a black man. Mm. That's under section one. You're 20 times more likely to be stopped and searched, like you're saying, at a train station when they do a section 60 order where they stop mm. an area looking for a certain type of people so that's fucked up and how do you yeah. two experience this sort of I don't know Aussie stop and search yeah, yeah I've been stopped and search I've, I've never been stopped and searched yeah. that killed the conversation <laughs> <laughs> do you know what we did yeah I was doing this documentary yeah, uh, yeah. about stop and search and we went to a boxing club in Hackney and we asked uh, all the people there, there in, the bo- in the room who were training who has been stopped to search? Uh, go to one side. Who hasn't been stopped to search? Go to one side. I shit you not. All the black people went to one side. All the white and Asian people went to the other side. Mm. People mm. who haven't been stopped to search. And that shows you how That's fucked up the ah. institution is, isn't it? But I find it really weird because, you know, there's stereotypes in place and I guess there's bias and everything. Mm. But, you know, I've been stopped and searched. Mm. And on a spectrum, I'm a lot lighter. Mm. Yeah. And I speak quite eloquent or not eloquent mm. but I speak with mm. a, a different sort of accent when mm. I'm interacting with law, yeah, yeah. law enforcement and stuff yeah. you know and so the idea that someone who sounds like this like oh no oh no that's fine oh you know mm. oh what's going on can still be stopped and searched and that like you can see that there is that real big bias in there in policing mm. I think I think the question is is the bias harmful or is it harmless is it more the treatment of for when people are being stopped and search, or is stop and search a problem? Because somebody can argue that stop and search, you find somebody who has a knife in them, but if you search around, it doesn't have a knife in them. Is it is it the treatment? Like, because I know mm. for me that I've mm-hmm. been stopped and searched a lot of times, but the difference between me and probably my peers was like they really act, they really react angrily to being stopped and searched. Yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, hi, 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 guys, how are you? Okay, here you go, here, mm. you search me. Mm. I probably get searched less. Mm. I probably get give, talked away. So it's like, mm. even then, it's like, it's hard, isn't it? Because it's, it's not a, it's complex. It's a complex issue because it's, it's cultural complex. as well. Yeah, it's cultural, yeah, and also police as well. So it's a mixture of the two, it's right? A mixture, but yeah. it's a, but it is. Remember, the police officer is using their sort of cognitive understanding of the world. And if they're being told that most people are wearing hoodies, I wear hoodies most of the time, I'm obviously going to always look like a, mm. a threat. Mm. I haven't been stopped and searched in quite a long time. But, like, th- I know that for me, I didn't want to wear tracksuits out because I was like, oh, I don't want to get stopped and searched. But it's like, mm. it's similar, mm. isn't it? With the, like, I bet you, like, we get stopped at the airport a lot because that, that happens. Yeah, Cause yeah, that airports, happens. you get, like, Asian men with beards getting yeah. profiled all the time. Yeah. So, like, there, it's, like, guaranteed yeah, to the so. point where I will make a joke about it before going through security. If I'm <laughs> travelling with someone, being like... Prepare for my random selections. <laughs> Completely random. Yeah. Absolutely random. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the key word is, is the profiling, and this comes back to AI. So 
when we use algorithms in these type of environments, the purpose of it is to make an automated decision. And it makes an automated decision based on how it profiles you. So it comes back to that whole thing of credit, for example. Mm-hmm. Can you beat the algorithm to get credit? You two have, have you know, have Aussie Ismail, is mm-hmm. that what I so her Patel 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 yeah. put that in a I remember seeing this thing of like there was this whole thing that your insurance was going up if your name was called Mr. Singh and uh-huh. and that type of stuff there's like people who were trying to do this experiment then John Smith in it but it's mm-hmm. like question but these are why is that happening has you know someone said oh somebody called Singh most likely to like what these are making profiles on you so if you're trying to train this algorithm or training these systems with these parameters that are being designed by police officers or individuals who are necessarily might have a negative perspective of maybe particular communities, mm. these things might come up. But I don't know what these parameters are because I don't have access to it. So I can't, you can't we, can, we can speculate, but mm. we obviously don't know. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. But I think that's really interesting what you're saying about like names and saying like Mr. Singh and stuff, because, you know, there is that, joke that isn't a joke which is if you've got this sort of name if you've got a name like Patel a name like Ismail you know you're not gonna uh, like your CV will have bias against you and stuff um, and they did that comparison against I think it was uh, they did same names like someone with a name you know Patel or someone with like a, a very very uh, Western name compared to someone with a name that's mm. more commonly associated with like an ethnic minority with the same skills and the person with a white name got like more callbacks yeah, and I stuff. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And so there is that idea there that, you know, that happens a lot. But I think what Alex is describing there is you've taken that bias and like pushed it to a fucking extreme where it's mm. like super, super scary because it's become like codified inside this algorithm and once that happens, it's like, I guess it's like, I don't know, a black box mm. that no one looks behind and mm. then you can't do freedom. You can't scrutinize. Yeah. It. You can't scrutinize that. And the thing is, and you said this before, Alex, mm. um, it's uh, people take it as gospel. People are like, oh, this algorithm is, you know, been designed mm. to do this. Thusly, I have complete faith in the, uh, you know, the science behind this without I even knowing about no, it. Like human there, so they think... That's the understanding. But right. obviously, as we said, the data sets, the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of subconscious bias that you place upon that by the creators of the system. Hmm. That is the problem, isn't I it? I think black box is a cop-out. Yeah. I mean, the black box excuse is a cop-out. And I think, I think we then if it's a black box, then we shouldn't, we shouldn't put anything in the world that that's mm. basically mm. saying ah oh, it's a black box we don't know what goes on yeah, <laughs> yeah like then we shouldn't put it out in the world innit? we yeah. keep it in the lab keep mm. training keep finding keep learning okay we're ready now yeah and let's put it out like that's maybe but, but that that's mm. that would be my argument in it mm. because it's like oh we don't know why aussie's on this matrix oh, you know it's a black box oh you know, when Ozzy could probably tell you, I reckon why I'm probably on the mm. <laughs> on this list. Mm. But like, mm. you know, so yeah, it's it's not yeah. It's you need the scrutiny, don't you? Yeah. That's what you need. You need scrutiny. So, what do you think? Like going forward, like finally, finally going forward with, like going forward with this. Do you think we could ever live in a world where we have these systems in place? You know, something that does not pro- like profiling, but something that does look at people in society and assign them scores or whatever that isn't inherently biased or can't inherently be gamed and can't inherently perpetuate power structures or biases, biases that are already 
to buy seats that are already like in place? Nah. <laughs> Great answer. Very succinct. I think, Very succinct. I, I think like Philip E. Dick explored this in Minority Report when he wrote the book and the film Minority Report came out in 2002. Right, really th- interesting. Thank you, IMDb. <laughs> it's really interesting. No, do you know why? Because in, in that future of 2002, they felt like Nokia was going to run the world. So a lot <laughs> no of this, so a lot of the stuff you got Nokia signed in there. Oh, and I'm that's like, funny. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. so interesting when people do depictions of the, like even watching Futurama, mm. and that was created in the 90s. But looking at the depiction mm. of the future and how. Like, oh yeah, we've got this now. But like just, mm. I'm always interested in when people depict the future at different times. Um, but with that, Minority Report's purpose was, it was you could predict that this person is going to commit murder. Mm. So you're being arrested for premeditated, I probably said this wrong, I'm not sure, but premeditated murder. So, you know, I'm going to murder someone. And then all of a sudden people break through, hey, get arrested. And in, in, in the story, there was mm. no murders for a long time. However, there was this one person that was like, nah, this thing is flawed. Mm. I don't believe in it. But I think it got gamed. Mm. The system got gamed. And mm. so you could game the system. And the person who gamed the system was the person who was a big advocate mm. for this software to, or system to <laughs> thrive and mm. use. But he gamed the system because he killed someone. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but like... It, it reflects on what we're talking yeah. about, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway. I'd question, no. i mm. The internet is a repository of people, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like. Alex, I saw from your Twitter, this is really weird saying Alex, because I feel like I'm referring to myself in third person. But anyway, I saw on your Twitter and sort of various other places that you did this like Alexa simulation that like interaction using it to was it order jerk chicken yeah so while that output is very very interesting like why did you do that and how did you do it um, so I was working on a project at the time around how do we build a feminist AI bot and that was inspired by um, the f- uh, team behind the feminist internet which is um, where well, initially started off as a research project now it's an actual organisation that is trying to um, create a feminist internet um, and, but at the time I was playing around with like I was having to teach 40 students who have no programming experience no coding experience and how they could necessarily like build a feminist um, AI bot was that University Arts, Arts London. London yeah yeah and so I was like okay I'm just going to make something what I was actually trying to do at the time was it was more of a provocative sort of where people laughed and be entertained by it. Mm. It was really, people really engaged with it. Mm. People were like, nah, this is not how the bot should speak. It should say this, it should say that. But what I was actually trying to do was this provocative argument about, you know, if you think of like voice technology doesn't understand accents. Mm. There's now, we you have your interview voice, but you now have your speaking to Alexa voice. Mm. And it was more, A, can a voice bot understand an accent? And also, can a voice bot be able to speak in an accent as mm. well? Could it be a more natural feeling if you went into a Caribbean restaurant and it was able to speak in Patois or have that sort of thing and, and what do we need to do there so it was very like me being very provocative but also being very entertaining 
as well. I, I wanted to spend more time exploring voice technology, mm. um, but it is pretty expensive to like um, engineer voice. And um, so, yeah. I mean, with the sort of voice work and stuff like that, where do you think it's sort of going? Where do you want it to go? Uh, how do you see it? Um, well, I'd be interested if it could basically have this Iron Man Jarvis <laughs> relationship. Yeah. That will obviously be the pinnacle. That's actually, I think that is the pinnacle of it. It's really having that sentient relationship with a, a robot. Like I was watching, I finally watched Solo Star Wars Story yesterday. And what did you think? Uh, my girlfriend found it good. I found it all right. I preferred the other what, Star Rogue Wars One. film, Rogue One. Oh, yeah, Rogue that was, was the best one. I know. It's like Saving Private Ryan yeah. with thermal detonators. I yeah. love it. And everybody dies in it. And yeah, it's... exactly. That's what I love. Not everyone needs to win. Yeah. Just, you know, let them die. Yeah, they die. so that was that was nice that everyone died. Anyway, back to what we were actually talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, what was I saying? Oh, damn, I was so much But yeah, but I remember watching Solo and there was a time when the robot dies mm. and then I think um, Danny Glover. Donald Glover, how Donald fucking dare Jesus. you? Wow, how dare you? You know That's sacred. No, fuck you, leave. <laughs> you know I actually always get it wrong, you know? Really? Yeah, I know Danny Glover's the much more older. Yeah. And then Donald, thank yeah. God. I was going to say Childish Gambino, but Me? I decided not to say Childish. I'm say Childish Gambino. I'm si- I'm Childish, si- Childish Gambino. Man, I'm seeing him this Saturday, Sunday. It's going to okay, be sick, man. cool. And then Childish Gambino, um, like when the robot died, proper was so, that, that experience was emotional. And it was really interesting to see that relationship of, well, he's, a, he's, a, he's an alien, so he's not mm. a human. But just to see somebody who has human features, humanoid features, mm. have this sort of reaction, reaction mm. to this metallic being. Yeah. And so and I think that's probably where we're trying to get to. You know, the mm. social robot, industry is young and still haven't found value propositions yet mm. and hardware is still very expensive mm. but I think that's that's obviously the goal I'm excited for that type yeah. of goal though to be honest um, you, you think it's going to happen that humanisation I think it has its benefits yeah and uh, it might have its negatives as well mm. but I think it has its, its benefits I just believe I just don't want it to be this master slave relationship relationship which kind of is kind of very reflective in the Western world and master slave. And I think, can it be more of a a sort of collaborative relationship mm. rather than master yeah. and slave? So that's kind of what I'm interested in. Um, I think if anybody's interested in a lot of our work that we're doing around AI and like automated decisions, we just recently did a project about how the young people understand automated decisions and getting them to and looking at how we could build tech or design tech in a way where young people can understand that that's on the Comuzi website um, C-O-M-U-Z-I if you just type that into Google Comuzi website will come up but if anybody's really interested that that was where we took a lot of these learnings and tangible stuff Mm. and tried to put that in a real world perspective Mm. if anybody's really interested so I only have Twitter so F-X F-E-G-H-A yeah. That's my Twitter. So we've come to the end of the podcast. Uh, Oz Sahel, have you enjoyed? Have you learned something new? I mean, I certainly have, but I'm still questioning 
the future of AI and like how it's ever going to help us, really. Yeah, I think, you know, it's such an interlinked thing and it's so difficult to wrap your head around it. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff to be uncovered around this topic, I think. And Alex, have you enjoyed your time with us today? Yeah, I wish we spent more time. <laughs> I, I hope we spend more time outside of this, just talking, having and um, being able to be around a journalist, biologist, and, and me. I guess a comp- <laughs> a, a You're com- just an entity by <laughs> yourself. Oh, technically, I'm a computational biologist, so the best We're of both existence at this point. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and having that conversation and. Um, and yeah, I think for me, I do cherish these type of conversations. Um, so yeah, I think it was oh, it was really good. You hear that? Cherish. Yeah. Our oh, one I, listener is going to enjoy that so much. <laughs> this is one slither of goodness in the suppository of evil. Repository of evil. <laughs> what did I say? I said suppository. This is a suppository of good in a depository. Um, so I don't know how you think people like take podcasts, but Listen. I don't want to see. Do you not have an app anyway? <laughs> don't ask. Don't go down. No. This, 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 don't this, shame, okay? this has been the one you adopt yet. We'll see you next time. Bye. Why would you pick a song where we have to harmonize? No, pick something easier. I want you back. I want, I want you, you back. back. I want you back. No, 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 no. What are you saying? Go back to the original song that you were singing. What were you singing what were you before? before? Uh, I forget. Singing my life with his words. Two time, two time. Killing me softly with this song. Killing me softly with this song. Telling my whole life with his words. Killing me softly with this song.